Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. I am Leona Abraham Brando, host for Blog Talk Radio, Shedding Light. Our special guest today, C.J. Bell, Trinbogonian, activist residing in the uh, New Havenville section of New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, A mother of two amazing young adults, student, black feminist, and lead organizer for Black and Brown United and Justice. And I'm just going to bring her in now. CJ began her advocacy path by sharing a weekly list of grassroots events across Connecticut, which ultimately led to her activism on the front line, bringing awareness of social injustices. CJ hosts a podcast of her own, The Sound of Black and Brown, a platform she uses to amplify the movement, and she is what many of us call a fierce advocate for many and confident in the power of the black and brown people coming together to change the cycle of disenfranchisement, stigmatization, and devaluation, which has enslaved communities far too long. So let's please welcome our guest to talk more about her passion and work. CJ, are you on with us? Hi, how are you? Can you hear me? Yes, I can. How are you? Um, I'm all right. A little bit of a I want to thank you. Sorry about that. CJ, I, I know you were having problems getting in, into the studio. One of the things we've been having a lot of problems with, and I believe it's, it has a lot to do with the government, is because Shedding light is exposing a lot of people, and it's also exposing corporations and the DOC, Department of Correction, and so many others. So we've been running into some problems, and thankfully you were able to finally get in. But if you can, please introduce yourself to the audience and tell a little bit about, uh, more about yourself. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for inviting me on and for having me. I am so grateful for this opportunity and to be here with you. I am CJ, a grassroots organizer located in New Haven, Connecticut, originally from Trinidad Tobago. Um, as uh, previously mentioned, I have uh, my own platform, a podcast as well, The Sound of Black and Brown. And, you know, I was inspired to do this work not only by my own experiences, but just by being in community and being with others who have struggled against this system. In fact, my first instance that drew me here was actually the case um, regarding Calhoun College, which is a section of Yale University. At the time, it was called Calhoun College, which is named after a slave owner. And I was actually on the steps of the court watching the dishwasher who got so frustrated. He was an employee. And so he got so frustrated having to come to work and see these images of slavery every day. He threw something at the window and broke the window and he was fired. So one day I come across the protest for his case, and that would be the day that would change my life. And, you know, it just opened a door to so many things because all these years as an immigrant, black immigrant in this country, so confused by this being the land of the free and only to see how enslaved we are, motivated by that and many other circumstances within my community, I decided to dig deeper and to start organizing and to start inspiring others to get involved, you know, and encourage them and let them know that no act is too small and no voice is too, you know, too weak 
We all are in this together, and we have to fight together. So Black and Brown United in Action, we are focused on lifting the voices of the lesser spoken, the lesser amplified, the black and brown people, our stories, our concerns, and that could be anything and everything. Uh, We're primarily focused on feminism, but as we all know, feminism is intersectional. It, It is intersectional, you know. Mass incarceration falls in there, food, job, insecurity falls in there, educational barriers, climate change, that all fall in there. And I'm glad to do this work. This is selfless work, and in this week, I get to meet people like you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, CJ. I'll tell you, I, I relate to what you're saying. I really do, and um, I've experienced it myself. Um, I have mm-hmm. um, my only child um, was caught up in that system, and I remember going to Ghana, West Africa, one time going, getting off the plane, and I felt like I finally belonged you know, it was just so different. And, and the hospitality is so different than you find in the United States. In this country, it's so, there's so much hatred and racism and anger and frustration and vengeance and retaliation. And it just goes on and on and on. But I relate to what you're saying. So uh, I wanted to ask you to speak a little bit more on your show, on your platform, so that the audience maybe find some interest in, in actually checking it out and actually going to your, your studio as well sometime. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. So in our work, um, you know, part of our work was actually, um, if I may, um, getting people to actually get vaccinated. And I'm mentioning that because at that time we were all in quarantine. And out of that, you know, a lot of things were realized, for me anyway. One of the most glaring things is how miseducated or uh, the lack of education on the fundamental things, you know, I found myself in conversation with my own friends, questioning, like, what, the, what do you know? Like, are you sure that's true? And so after much contemplation, I decided to go for it, and I launched my podcast, The Sound of Black and Brown. And, you know, we're very strict here. You have to be black or brown to be on the podcast. Because, again, just like the group, it's all about amplifying the lesser amplified, the black and brown people. So on this podcast, you know, uh, we're talking about different issues, whatever is contemporary, and sometimes things that are not historical, but matters which matter to us. And it's very blatant. I'm going to say things that might sting, uh, especially for those with privilege, because it's going to be the truth. It's going to be how we see it, how we know it. And it's going to force you to maybe learn or relearn some things that we didn't even know we knew as far as how much we allow for subliminal racism and white supremacy to exist amongst us. And by that I mean, like, you know, here in the Northeast, there's a lot of subliminal racism, right? A lot of white supremacy is normalized, and some of our own don't even realize that. So this podcast is aimed to speak in those truths and to provide a space for others to do so as well. You know, I understand that part because um, I just heard on the radio, on the television today that – that uh, police officer, that woman that shot that uh, young man, she got two years mm. and she's out in less than 16 months. She's out. And I often think of, of how overly populated the prisons are with people of color. And if that had been a black, black police officer or whatever, they would still be in, I'm sure. But these are some of the injustices I totally agree with you on. Mm-hmm. Totally. Absolutely, because 
I just want to hit on something you said there because it's absolutely correct. You know, let's look at it like this, right? And this is something, a topic that I've been bringing up a lot on the podcast, the issue of gun control. Now, another thing that Black and Brown United in Action does, and we use the platform, the Son of Black and the podcast, to share on this, we're very involved in the legislative efforts. We do believe being part of the lawmaking process is quite important because these are basically the policies and procedures, for lack of a better way of putting it, which will provide guidance, for lack of a better way of putting that, right? And one of the more recent ones was HB 6667. Now, this is a bill that's meant towards gun control. And let me tell you something, Leona, the response was sickening. Um, So many Republicans (laughs) came forward to defend their right to own a gun. It was never about your ownership. That's a federal thing. This is about making sure that we are we have a process in place that really gets down to who owns these guns because, like I mentioned on, on the sound of black and brown, we're not the ones, meaning black and brown people, we're not the ones that you're often going to see running up in a mall or a school or, you know, uh, somebody's driveway, uh, sorry, you know, garage or whatnot, shooting up people. It's not us. Okay, mm-hmm. and, and black and brown people tend to hold a label for gun violence when it really isn't ours to own. First of all, who were more violent than slave owners? I mean, and going back to the prison system, so many of our brothers and sisters are serving some ridiculous terms over petty, petty charges. So to hear that this woman will just walk away, and she has a reason, right? Because when they do it, it's mental health. When we do it, we're violent. Well, I hope something changes because we saw recently the young lady, the white woman got shot in a driveway. So let's see how they feel about gun violence now. That's all I'm going to say. That's the truth. I agree with that. That's for sure. You know, mm-hmm. it just, it, it, and it, it doesn't make sense. It, every day you're hearing about it. You know, it's so simple just to have everyone, anyone that wants to apply for a, 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 carry, a license to carry, have them take a psychological evaluation, you know, yeah. get, get some input. They don't even, they don't even come up with ideas like that. You know, they're just so no, bent on having weapons. Let's it. talk about the police because this came up here. Um, so I also have attended some police uh, meetings, police commission meetings here in New Haven. And I wonder if people really know the truth about what happens in terms of training. So, for, in, for instance, we work closely with our allies, Stop Solitary CT, um, regarding police reform. And we have been pushing for a civilian review board. Well, of course, you know, we need the community to get involved because we have to hold these people accountable. Now, in all of this work, we found out some things as well. Like, we found out that the psych evals that the officers are taken is outdated. That's dangerous. That means we're not properly evaluating these people and we're giving them a gun and we're telling them to protect community. So mm-hmm. if that's what's happening with the police officers, just imagine, like, I have, I have received information regarding our corrections uh, institutions out here. I mean, I've seen pictures of correctional officers, white Correctional officers sleeping on the job, man. Really? Really? Mm-hmm. You know, and they're going to get a pension for that. They're going to get a pension 
I've heard stories from uh, black and brown correctional officers about the harassment they incur from their co-workers because that's believe it's like a skinhead nation in there. They're very blatant with their racism, and, um, you know, their biases are not secret. You know, they slack off and they abuse their power, and it goes on and on, and this is why I appreciate platforms such as yours because you need to talk about this. Again, our brothers and sisters are sitting behind these, these bars suffering. I wonder if people would feel different if they saw what happened when the COVID first started. Just to know that these folks had nowhere. I mean, in my work, we also do immigration reform, and we heard stories from the detention centers where the guards would come in and just picture, like, all these people just grouped up in one main room. That's what they were doing to the prisoners. That was their way of social distancing in the prison. Now, one would think that a better idea would be for us to really look back at our system and say maybe we need to revise, review some of these cases. Maybe some of these should have been thrown out. Maybe some of these, you know what I mean, these charges were kind of ridiculous. We didn't do that. Instead, we found ways to fund the animosity towards black and brown people even more. We found money to fund guns more. America loves violence, Leona. It, it is what it is. It loves it. Exactly. One of the advocates was telling me that uh, he belongs to a group. He was telling me that they're going to be focusing on having judges, black judges, brown judges, handling cases, crime with the people of color because they don't get a fair, people do not get a fair chance if they go in a courtroom to, to fight their defense when the jurors are mostly primarily white. They usually put one or two, maybe three uh, people of color on a jury, but somehow before the case comes up, they manage to get rid of one or two as well. So that's a big issue too with jury duty, mm-hmm. with the case involving white, black against white. These are issues that need to be focused on. And I'll tell you what you just mentioned is sometimes these people are doing this and they're throwing it in our face. That just like this woman mm-hmm. that just got out, this police officer that just got out, and, and that 17-year-old that shot up two or three people during a, a, a protest one time, and he got, his case was dismissed. It was right after that that we started mm-hmm. hearing about a lot of mass shootings by teenagers. Yes. Yes, because we made it fashionable. You see, America will always have the money and resources to fund the school-to-prison pipeline, okay? That is always on the budget, always, in any way, shape, or form. America loves violence. Look at the shows. Look at the TV shows. Look at, look at even, like, music videos now. I remember growing up, the music videos, you know, would be fun. You used to look forward to seeing Michael Jackson's newest video because you wonder what would he do? Now it's all about the violence. You can't even go see a movie um, without there being violence of some way, shape, or form. You know, um, I want to know what the hell is going on in your life that you need to have an AK-47. Like, this is a bigger conversation. But again, you're asking about those people. Let us not forget, my friend. Those people went ahead and stormed the Capitol two years ago, and they acting like, you know, none of that matters. We haven't had I, any fluid updates. I have a question on that you one. Know. Had mm-hmm. there been somebody from the Africa or the Middle East 
they, oh, they, they would have been getting a life sentence. They would have been in a, a right. how is it that, that we have domestic, <laughs> yeah, we have domestic terrorism in this, in this country and they do nothing about it except give them a slap but on they, the hand. You know what they want to do? They do. They validate it. They validate it. You see, because anytime a white person commits mass terrorism, because that is what it is. It is terrorism. But when they do it, it's logicized. It's normalized, right? It's, you know, and the problem with us as black and brown people, we're so used to being resilient. I think, you know, with COVID, I mean, think about it. We all sat down when we're supposed to be under quarantine. The whole world is fighting against this COVID-19, and we had to watch George Floyd's mother. Hmm. Even during really the pandemic. During the pandemic, pandemic. I mean, think Mm -hmm. about it. Before the pandemic, there was this going on. And actually, they say we're over the pandemic. We're still in it. People are still getting sick, right? But the point is the gun violence is astronomical, highest in the world, in the world. And that's without a doubt. I think gun violence got worse. It, it got worse after uh, Donald Trump became president, and it, it oh, hasn't absolutely. stopped. It hasn't stopped since. No, because he's the epitome. You know, that's the thing, right? So let's touch on that for a second, because I get particularly annoyed. I get more angry with the black and brown Trumpers, to be quite frank, because mm-hmm. I ask myself, "Is it really? Are you really that confused?" Like. Do you not have people around you to educate you? Because how could you support this man? Do you not see what he represents? But every time I run into or hear somebody being a Trumper, it tells me a lot about themselves too, right? Because how could you know what this man stands for and be okay with it? And you're absolutely correct because even here in Connecticut, there was a a Trump parade, right? And they had a Trump caravan, and this thing went across city lines. This is in Connecticut. That's supposed to be so progressive, okay? And these people were dedicated to that caravan, let me tell you, right? They, were, they had their own guards, and that's another thing. Notice that the Trump supporters are always caring. They talk about the black power groups and the black groups, right, and the fact that you know, they talk about the Panthers and the fact that we armed ourselves. Well, why wouldn't we? What are we supposed to do? Sit there and say, shoot me? Like, mm. <laughs> what are we supposed to do? I mean, we're damned if we do, we're damned if we don't. Again, we're not saying that everybody is innocent, but there are people on the state budget right now who are spending money to keep people in jail. And we didn't even talk about what happens in jail. How about the fact that a lot of these states fund rape. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the uh, the frisking that they do of the prisoners when they go to search the cells or just they just announce a search. This isn't done privately. This is mm-hmm. done in front of everybody else. How would you feel if you're sitting there minding your business and this person just comes, drags you off your little bed, and then starts to sexually assault you like that? Mm-hmm. How would you feel? I mean, and this is all part of the state budget. This is something that is normalized. It's, it's rationalized, just like use of force, right? Use of force is always rationalized. Well, you want to protect yourself. Well, what if, what if there's another way? Why aren't we 
why are we learning from countries like Norway, okay, that has the lowest, one of the lowest incarceration rates in the world? How did they do that? They did that by using the prison system for what it was meant for, as a means of correction, not a life. America means corrections a life. America likes slavery that much. It likes to reinvent it, and that's what this is. And that's why I warn people on the sound of black and brown, you're going to hear me use expletives, and you're going to hear me use some references that might sting. Well, also for the black and brown people, particularly those who support people like Donald Trump, you need to hear this. Our people died, you know, and people like that were quite supportive of it. Best believe it. This man, if he could, he will get rid of you. Trust it and know it. <laughs> you know what I, I get so upset with when I see people in, in the in back of him, in, in the crowd that are of color, and I'm saying they either yes. have to be getting paid to do it, they have to be getting paid. Because how can you be well, with you somebody? Enough. I'll go broke. I'd rather go yeah. broke. You're not paying me to sign up. Not a million dollars. Uh-uh. But this is this is what they do, and I I get so upset too because our own our own black leaders, black and brown leaders, need to do more because they formed. Yeah. And you don't hear the only thing you hear from them is when they have virtual meetings or they're looking for money, and this really upsets yeah. me. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's it, or if if somebody dies, you know, Ben Crump and and mm-hmm. uh, Al Sharpton, all of them. After the fact, and they need to come forward now. Right. Right. Well, and a lot of black and brown people, lo and behold, and again, this to me is something that COVID brought our attention to. See, we're so used to being traumatized. I don't think we know where to put the trauma anymore. Because here's the thing with our black and brown spiritual leaders. Um, so in my little country, Transabago, my country looks like a Timberland boot. And in my country, you go to church to, you know, get the spirit. You want to pray. You want to, you know, receive God, however you see it, whether it be Allah, whether it be Jesus, however you believe, whatever that looks like to you, you go mm-hmm. to your place of worship, worship, you go home. In this country, the more profitable the church, apparently that's where Jesus likes to go. So see, again, greed in America have thwarted so many things. Now let's go back again to our black and brown spiritual leaders, the leaders of color, the, uh, you know, the pastors of color and so on. Mm-hmm. Remember, when COVID was happening and people were looking for somewhere to go, remind me again, where did P.G. Jake send people? Nowhere. Right? But mm-hmm. he made sure to collect your tithe money, and he made sure to remind you that Jesus will only love you if you give them 10% of the little pizza check you have. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like something that should be in the Bible. That doesn't sound like a God loves people. No. And I'll tell you, when, when I was in Ghana, a lot of women, I mean, people were coming down the aisles with homemade bread, fresh bread that they made and, mm-hmm. and things like It wasn't money because they couldn't afford it. And now it's every, I mean, I watched, and Dr. Charles Stanley just passed away five days ago, but T.D. Jakes, I mean, he was on television. He's been on Tyler Perry's show. He's, he's, he's an actor. It's just like these presidents, Ronald Reagan and, and all these people that, are, that were in, in celebrities be, uh, running a country they know mm-hmm. nothing about. 
but this is mm-hmm. this is really mind-boggling. Is is why these people in the churches? Jesus came into this world as a as a savior, or some say that, like the the Islam will say uh, a prophet. Uh, he was a great prophet. He himself right. said it in the Bible. You know, a, a prophet is not honored in his own home. But he came into this world with nothing, sandals. Right. He didn't. He even instructed his disciples not to ask for anything when they went out preaching. If it was given to them, take it, accept it, but don't ask. And here we have churches right. that are just constantly about money. Right. Yeah, no, because think about it. We have a housing insecurity problem right now. Um, you know, you would think, Would I mean, I, maybe she does it and it's not advertised, who knows. But I'll just use this person as an example. Where is Beyonce as far as saying, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna donate X amount. Please match me." I think look, right here in Connecticut we have 19 millionaires, and I dare say if those millionaires by themselves were to you know come together with a pool of money, they could have brought some money that. But they don't exactly. want to do that. They don't exactly. want to do that. When I was in Ghana, the money I spent in Ghana, she, mm-hmm. Oprah Winfrey started a school in, out in Africa, and, and she was on, being interviewed by Diane Sawyer or Barbara Walters or one of them. And, and what, Oprah Winfrey had these diamond earrings on you could they blind you. And she talked about the money mm-hmm. that she spent in Ghana and, or in uh, wherever it was. And I got so upset because... They said to her, well, what is it you want the public to know? And she says, well, I'm not no Mother Teresa. You know, people, I want people to. And it really upset me because what she spent in in Africa, most likely I could have spent just around the same amount. And it was a lot to me because I'm not rich. But for her, it was like a drop in the bucket. And that's what happens with our celebrities. It's petty cash cash because she's probably going to write it off like, all, I mean, not for nothing, you know, we're not trying to discredit her, but at the same time, the math is the math, right? Because yeah. even when she would give away the cars, right, she's given away all those cars, that money is not less nothing to her. She gets to write that off. This is why a lot of these celebrities start these nonprofits, because they figured out, oh, this is a way that I could do it. I'll still look good, right? Everybody will say, oh, I love you. You're amazing. But in reality... What did they really, really do? Nothing. Nothing. How mm-hmm. is it that Beyonce, just going back to her for a second, because Janet Jackson, I'll give her credit, she's having a concert. Now, out of curiosity, I was just looking at the tickets. Now, I don't plan to go to either because I have to pay my bills. I don't have money for that. So bless the hearts to all the people who have the money to go to these things, by the way. But I looked at the tickets for Janet Jackson and Beyonce, and I am not spending fifteen hundred dollars to see Beyonce. Mm-hmm. I I will say I will say that out loud. Right now with Janet, were there higher price tickets? Yes. But she still had the option. Like you could still go get a ticket for I think like twenty five bucks. But you know, that would be like the main main but I get it though. I get yeah. it. At least she had the option. Beyonce, you had to call in, it was all this hype and you have to call in, and then they have to call you back. It's all of this going on, and then they'll see if you get selected, and then you get to pick your seat. Like, it's all this big, big hype. 
I am not spending in this time and now fifteen hundred dollars, and that's one of the cheaper seats. That's one mm-hmm. of the cheaper seats. I'm sad. That's sad. In other words, it's, it's, it's benefiting people with money, maybe, but people that don't have the money that mm-hmm. would like to go see her, you know, there's no option. No, no option at all. No option at all. And I would think, like, you would think after all the devastation, you would never think COVID happened in America by the witty celebrities that carry on. I mean, you know, let's be real here. The government did a horrible job of reentering. Because uh-huh. let's, let's be real. We didn't do it to the same extent, but COVID-19, we all did solitary confinement. We all were in jail. It was just the same as being in jail. And so many people got so frustrated. Now, you're not literally in jail because you still have a working bathroom, a bed without bed bugs, and a fridge that you could go to to get your food, right? And people yeah. were losing their minds. And the government did nothing to reenter. Where's the public service ads telling people, well, you know, if you need mental health support, call this number? Or if this bothers you, call that number? There's nothing like that really happening. The road rage is out of control, at least in the Northeast here. There's a lot of road rage happening. You know, people are in shambles. The government does not care. They just left us. Yeah. We have a serious serious problem with mental illnesses in the United States and addictions. And instead of throwing all these people in prison, they need to start establishing some really successful establishments as far as facilities, long-term residential treatment facilities. It can be 5, 10, Correct. 15, 20 years, but it's not going to be life, and it's not going to be death row, and it's going to have, you know, professionals, experienced people. Correct. Correct. And bring back after-school programs, right? Exactly. Bring back the after-school programs. Bring back the before school. See, that's what we need to be asking for. We don't need more police. We don't need um, a bigger jail. We need real resources. We need real housing solutions, right? We don't need Section 8. It's, it's not about homelessness. We need a house. The home is the feeling you get inside when you open the door. The house is having four walls to call your own. We need housing, right? We need to stop punishing people. If I went to jail and I did my time, I shouldn't be doing double time. No. Especially if at an offense that wasn't worth that. Like, you know, there's some offenses. I mean, let's be real here. If we were to really look at white-collar crime, guess who we'll find and guess what we'll find? I don't see anybody getting as angry as those who caused the 2008 recession. Remember that, the housing crash mm-hmm. and, and the stock market crash? How come mm-hmm. people aren't mad at them? But you're so quick to get, you know, agitated and annoyed at the black and brown, the people of color, okay, is it, without a question. I mean, really, put a group of ants in, in, you know, in a container and watch what they do to each other with, with no water, with nothing, just the ants, and watch what happens. They're going to start climbing on top of each other. Why? Survival of the fittest. They're trying to get out of their hell. They're trying to, you know, make it. It's the same mm-hmm. thing that happens to black and brown people living in poverty, okay? People are looking for a way out. Instead of saying mental health, say mental wellness as a means of acknowledging that in the black and brown community, mental health is stigmatized. Why? Because slaves were tested. 
That's why. Because you see what's happened to when people, when medical experiments happen. That's why we have so many people who won't go see therapists, who won't go see doctors, who think that abortions are there to kill black and brown people, who think that the COVID vaccine is a way of the white people controlling us. I mean, these are people really thinking this. Why? Because of the history and impact of slavery. But in saying that, white people have done things, astronomical things. I mean, we could go on to these, and it does not have that stigma. These people were put in houses in the Social Security and names of their children, babies, five-year-olds, seven-year-olds, and we act like that didn't happen. What's wrong with this picture? Mm-hmm. It's still going on in the prisons, too. You know, the, 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 the modern-day yeah. slavery. These, these, they have these prisoners, these large corporations, making billions of dollars, and these prisoners are getting like 90 cents a day, 96 yeah. cents a day or less. And right. What is that all about? Right. right. Well, because it's about the profit, right? And, and the thing is, what folks don't realize, it is about the money because it's privatized most of it, right? Yes. So somebody is making money off of somebody else's torture. How do you feel about that? That's disgusting. And we're not saying that these people are living in tolerable conditions. I mean, look like just the other day, the prisoner who was eaten alive by bed bugs. Oh. And how about the other one? The yes. other one that was, that was scalded to death in the shower. You see? That was in Florida. This is a, this is a, the kind of barbaric system that we live in in this country. Yes. And the yes. legislator, I am so upset with the, We're having this thing, and I, I know by now you probably heard about it, but in June, where we're going to have mass calls and letter writing and emails to the media, legislative members. Mm-hmm. It's going to be about mm-hmm. abolishing uh, the death penalty, but ending solitary confinement, bringing in independent providers and everything. But but what's happening mm-hmm. is these legislative members, they need to go into the prisons unexpectedly, not even announcing that they're coming in because prisoners have right. told me so many times that when the DOC yes. knows they're coming, they clean up their act. They switch it up, yes. The media yes, never goes in. The media no, reports one-sided stories. That's it. No, because out here, one of our, one of our legislators, he encountered that. Right, she was told by a staff member, um, you know, try not to announce when you're showing up. And then when she showed up, they were like, "Oh, I'm sorry, we're doing some stuff." They tried to buffer it. Yes, they tried to buffer it. Yeah, and she's a black legislator, so of course, you know, trying to get through that was not easy. Eventually, they let her in, but it was obvious because you could smell like from what I understood it to be to smell like the bleach, you know what I mean? So obviously they tried to whatever they could do real quick to make it look better, but this is a fact. It's a fact. You should not have to give warning as a you know, lawmaker. You should Mm -hmm. be allowed to show up with what you feel like. It's an audit. You have to hold these people accountable. Hold them accountable because then I've seen pictures of corrections officers sleeping on the job and they're getting paid for this. Jeez. Mm-hmm. And that's happening right here in Progressive Connecticut. Right here in, in the Progressive media, Connecticut. 
even with the media, they can go over to see, look, at they've been going over to uh, Ukraine, they've been going over to Poland, mm-hmm. they've been going over to all these countries with all this stuff going on over there, when in fact, if they can go to other countries, they should be able to go into the prisons and meet with these incarcerated right. individuals and at least hear from some of them what's going on. Okay. As a matter of fact, there was supposed to be an a incarcerated individual, Reginald Clements from Missouri, who wanted to call in tonight because you were going to be on. And so he's he's been he's been incarcerated since he was in his early, early 20s on a wrongful conviction. Another okay. one, Christopher Dunn. If you go on the Internet, you'll see a judge dismissed his case and found him innocent years ago when he was in his mm-hmm. late late teens, early 20s. And they're in their 40s and early 50s now, and they still haven't been yeah. released. These are wrongfully convicted. Right, right, right. And we don't talk about that. We don't talk about mm-hmm. the fact that there's so many people who have petty charges and wrongful convictions is you know, if they were to sit down, and guess what? You could create jobs doing this work. Like, you could hire people to help go through these files and find these cases. This is all doable. You don't need to have a law degree to do this. You could hire a group of people to help expedite it, make it a project, put some money in the community, and make it right. But you have to want to do that. But there's so much money being made off of the prison system. I mean, let's go beyond the prison, right? Let's talk about the fact that there are white-led nonprofits that take up the re-entry space. So that in itself is a problem because you go from one jail to another, literally, mm-hmm. right? These halfway houses, who's looking at these halfway houses to make sure they're to par? My understanding, most of these houses, these halfway houses look like junk houses. You know what I mean? They're run down. They're not, they're not nice at all. And they're managed by slumlords. So it's a whole cycle of incarceration meant to break you, meant to, you know, make you feel hopeless. It really is meant to do so. And you add COVID on top of that, it's just even worse. I mean, I've always had this one suggestion um, that it is a state-level fix. I've always said that you must have us black and brown people, you know, people of color, whichever way you like to word it. You need to have us in leadership and other roles, right? We need to be there, us being part of these conversations. Both the conversations and the execution is very, very important. One of the things that they could do in Connecticut for the school system and for mental health purposes, they could change the um, certification process so that if you are looking to be a teacher or a social worker, you don't have to worry about, you know, what your expenses are going to be like because the problem is how they do it. Your internship is like four months back to back. Now, most black and brown people come from working families. So if I'm going to school to be a social worker or a teacher, my immediate stop point is when I realize, crap, how am I going to live for four months without income? Can't do Mm -hmm. it. The state what it could do is say, look, let's change that, make it, you know, more viable for working people, and you will change up your pool of applicants. But you see, a lot of these jobs are geared towards privilege. Look at even corrections officers. Most of them have some sort of military background. What does that tell you? 
what are we really doing? Are we really trying to make our society better, or are we just trying to maintain the white supremacy? I'll mm-hmm. go with the latter. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of a lot of uh, people that have been in the military that have gotten these jobs as law enforcement or SEALs or prison officials or whatever. And there was one in California, I mean, Pennsylvania, who was so mm-hmm. bad, he went into the military, but they spoke his, I forgot his last name. I can't remember it. But anyway, these people that are even stormed the White House, a lot of them were military. A lot of them were military. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the Department of Corrections right now, even law enforcement, they're having a hard time recruiting police officers and also correctional officers because they have gotten such a bad reputation now. No one wants to be around yes. the police. Right. And and because, again, why would you want to be there? Like here in New Haven, Connecticut, there are several cases of black and brown people attempting to become police officers, and there's always something in that they find, there's always something that we can't meet the finish line. So many barriers. So you see, again, aside from the use of force part, it's the part with how do we even qualify, right? You're more willing to take in a veteran who's most likely to have some level of PTSD, okay? You rather employ that person and give them a gun or have them at a prison as opposed to someone who does not have that background. What's wrong with that picture? Well, look at what they're doing also. They're, they're actually willing to take high school dropouts as long as they get their GED. And you you know there's a lot of these young punks in school just looking to get a job in a police department or a, or a prison yeah. to show their true colors, you know, to get in with their gang, as, as you call it. Police, right. I consider police being gang members too. And correctional officers, they can be gang members. But can you imagine bringing people in to do that kind of work that just have a GED? No. Right. Mm -mm. No. You should go through both the police officers and the correctional officers. Anytime you're dealing anything with a gun, you should have to do an extensive psych eval. That has to be extensive because I need to know when given the choice what your decision would look like. Instead, what happens is they promote the use of force and they justify it by saying we have to protect and serve. There are many instances when the police could have or corrections officers could have de-escalated, but they like this use of force. It's, it's, you know, it's what they rely on, what they rely on. And also, let's not ignore the fact, right, that when questioned or when it was made known Some of the people involved in that attempted coup, I call it an attempted coup, on January 6th were military or part of corrections or police officers. My understanding, that's part of why they don't want to say the name. Because, you know, even here in Connecticut, it's known that there was a bus that left Connecticut to go up to the Capitol. And you would never know that from the media. I mean, here's the thing. If it was, like you said, if it was black people who did it, oh, all their faces, it would be all over the place. But let white people do it, and it's like, oh, they did that? Oh, look at that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. Yep. It is. 
Just disgusting. That's what it is. It's disgusting. It's just you know, the sad thing is this: there's a lot of whites throughout the years that have seen seen this racism, seen seen such injustice, and they want to help. They want to work with us, but at the same time, the majority is is just they're all for conservative and and Trump and all that. When those yeah. when those men did what they did at the Capitol, two I think it was two or three police officers actually committed suicide after that. And still, yeah. the, the maximum that any of them got was, what, two years or four years? This should have been right, life. Right. They talk about life. I mean, this should have been more than two or four years. Right. Because remember, they hunted down uh, the Black Panther Party. They made sure anywhere they could find the Panthers, they made their life uncomfortable. So if you could do that to them, right, what's the difference here? Exactly. The difference is the shade. That's the difference. You see, when they do it, they justify it. When we do things, we are to be punished, whether it's right or if it's wrong. Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, all the great leaders, Marsha P. Johnson, they all were attacked. And what did they do wrong besides try to spread awareness for social justice? You know, look at what's going on with your podcast. People don't think or, you know, even put that into consideration. The risk we endure by having our platform, I'll have to tell you the truth. I've had to endure some stuff myself, you know, nails in the tire, um, broken window, you name it. It's happened. It's happened. You know, because people like America likes its heat. It It likes to know racism is there. It doesn't want to get rid of it. I mean, look how long racism has existed in this country, this country that claims to be so free and so accepting and all these big, beautiful words that it is not. That's the problem with this country. It's it's ego. This country is like Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible. The, 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 the government feels as though they've accomplished everything and they know what they're doing and everything. What they've done, they've destroyed this country and they've destroyed so many other countries. But you know, the thing that's so sad is this country was built on the blood, sweat and tears of people from other countries, Africa, the gold mm-hmm. and the diamonds, you know, the middle East, mm-hmm. the, the perfumes and the, the oils, they have benefited. And sometimes that's probably why they're going off to what, not that they had to, mm-hmm. because those countries couldn't even reach us at one time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you see, if America cannot have it, they'll destroy it. Like, look at what's happening in Sudan right now. Oh, right? Geez. I mean, yeah, I mean, the poverty that this country has created in so many, so many other countries. You look at what's going on with the immigrants migrating, uh, traveling through the border. Well, let's get real with that history, right? America came in and took what they had. What did you expect these people to do? Mm-hmm. What did you expect to do? You know, America has to deal with itself. And, you know, one of the things that I try to also mention on the Sound of Black and Brown is that white people need to challenge their fellow white people. You exactly. need to get them to stop. Because, exactly. I mean, let's just say it happens on the job. We're getting it on the job. We're getting it when we go in the streets. We're getting it. It doesn't matter where we go. We're getting it. 
and one would think with all these different publicly and nationally and even internationally recognized um, instances of racism, you would think it would stop or put a dent or something, and it hasn't. If anything, it's getting even worse. You just said it. You know what? That's exactly what needs to be done. The white people, the Caucasians that side with the people of color, you just said it. They mm-hmm. need to challenge their own their own race mm-hmm. because their race mm-hmm. is what's, what's suppressing all of us. And if they're truly, yeah. truly, if they're truly, truly in sync with us and want to join us in, in getting rid of all this hatred and racism, they also need to be challenging their own. That's right. Instead of taking it, that's why I mentioned the white-led nonprofits. You know, we don't need the white saviorism. That's just as bad. Less discrimination is still discrimination, right? And a real white ally, in my opinion, because I know a few, I know quite a few good white allies, and you know what they do? They don't want to get the notoriety. They don't want to be seen. They they want to support me in doing what I do, mm-hmm. right? They don't want to take up all the space. You know, um, Elijah Muhammad, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, spoke about the camera. The camera is the white man's narcotic, right? Now, we as black and brown people, we need to understand what that means. That means that do not let ego and agenda be what guides you. If ego and agenda guide you, you're going to be just as bad as they are. Now, we could talk to our people, right, and we could talk to our own, and we could say, listen, this gun violence, let's stop making the gun violence fashionable. Let's make it unfashionable. Let's make life fashionable, right? We could do that with each other. But the white people have to address each other. See, we could oppose them and we could challenge them. And I'm not saying that we should not or there is not black power, but for racism to truly be addressed, we need the white people who get up and stand up with us, to get up and stand up and oppose those who support the racism, challenge those workplace rules and behaviors, challenge the laws, challenge the school system, talk about it in a way where it includes us as well. Don't mm-hmm. just hear it all needs. Talk about the need for free after-school programs. Where's our, you know, where's our trade schools? All our trade schools disappeared. They became profit systems. Talk about that. We need those things back, right? Talk about the fact that Section 8 was exploited, and we need to look at it like we need the white people because here's the thing. These white people sit in high places, very high places. And if you doubted that, once again, I will always reference COVID because when the vaccine started rolling out, who got taken care of first? Mm-hmm. Okay? You see? So we need these white people. So, you know, this is why, again, on the sound of black and brown, I encourage white people to listen, but I also warn them and let them know, I'll say some stuff that will sting. It's going to sting because it's a lot of learning and relearning behavior. Even with the black and brown people, you know, especially with those who got socialized differently, what I mean like by that is that some of us 
grew up in the white neighborhood, and we don't realize how much of that behavior we actually absorbed, okay, to the point we don't know how to talk to each other. We don't know how to, and we look down instead of realizing maybe I have a little privilege. I actually have a little privilege. Maybe that's why I don't connect. You got to learn and relearn. Exactly. I think sometimes our own when they do get a little when they when they get a little a little bit of achievement and they're up there with the especially even in government and they're up there with the elite they tend to forget too where they came from mm-hmm. and I remember years ago when I first became a social worker I I would associate with any of the anyone that was of color mm-hmm. in uh and having cookouts with, you know, with beer and wine and all that. I remember one time my oldest brother said to me, you know, Leona, now that you're getting up in the world, you have to start watching who you associate with. And I told him, I said, you know what? I said, I will never forget where I came from. Never. I will never forget mm-hmm. those that I was around all my life. You know, he mm-hmm. he may have, but not me. And that's the way it should be. You shouldn't have to. Dis- you know, you know right from wrong, and that's all that should matter. You that's could be. Right. We can be a good influence on those we associate with, no matter what these people are about, whether they're good or bad. We can be a role model, just associating with them and letting them see how we are. Mhm. And we have to protect each other too, right? Like yeah. we have to remember. Some of us had some real painful existences. Like, you know, I mean, how would you feel if you had to grow up drinking flour and water or eating rice and butter or, or, you know, not knowing why mom was gone for days and will reappear or not understanding why dad always had this weird look in his face, not knowing these things. You know, again, it's bad enough as black and brown people we were taught not to acknowledge our trauma. In fact, when we do acknowledge our trauma, we take it out on each other, and that's the part that we need to realize. Even in our houses, when we get angry, we get mad at each other. Now, white people, when they get mad, oh, give Gregory some space, we have to understand. They know in their uh, adjectives. We don't. We don't use that. We were ashamed to admit that there are days when we feel like crap, we're ashamed that there are days when we feel emotional. We're ashamed to say we have days when, you know, we acknowledge a part of ourselves. You know, we just, we were taught that we have to look strong. You know, when a black or brown woman speaks her mind, all of a sudden she's the angry black or brown woman, see? So it's all about challenging these change of white supremacy. And this is why the white people need to step in and step up. All the problems we have described, there are white people in those spaces. They need to be brave enough. You know, I mean, I think if anybody was looking for inspiration, let's look at what happened in Tennessee and realize that those two justins who walked out, or shall we say were told to walk out, let's pay attention to the time that we're in and realize we don't have the clock on our side. So Mm -hmm. people with privilege Specifically, the white people with privilege. We need them to say, all right, enough is enough now. Enough is enough. We want this to be different and to do that and mean that and not just give us, you know, tell us what happens at the table after, but make sure we're at that table too. 
Because exactly. representation matters. Exactly. We have to have representation at every table in this country when it comes to things like that. You know, years ago, mm-hmm. there was it was called the CETA program. I don't know if you're familiar with it, if you were around then. The CETA program, and uh, they also called it job partnership, where uh, mm-hmm. people people that were of, of uh, poverty, not only poverty, but the average citizen, you know, that, uh, that didn't have the opportunities others have, they had it so that you could get jobs. The, uh, the government would pay so much and the businesses would pay so much. Uh, one girl, she ended up becoming a uh, data entry operator for a social service agency. Uh, others were, they were getting, they were doing really good until President Reagan came in and he did away with it. I don't know if it might have, mm-hmm. uh, the Kennedy, John F. Kennedy might have brought it in. I don't know. But they did away with that. And just like you mentioned trade schools, they, they, they're doing away with all these vocational schools where you go into the cities and you see all these all these run-down buildings that they could bring the uh, vocational schools in with their professors, their teachers, and others in the community and rebuild these torn-down buildings and use them for those homeless or the formerly yes. incarcerated or something. Yes. yes. There's enough real estate. There's enough land. There are schools that have been, you know, structures, all of it. You could use that for different purposes. These could be after-school programs. These could be, you know, a community library slash after-school center, all of it, all of it. Exactly. Even to use some of these prisons, you know, when these, like in in Massachusetts, they closed down Walpole State Prison. It hasn't been completely Mm -hmm. closed. They're working on closing it completely. Take a a place like that and turn it into a a facility where they can actually have some kind of programs in there and prevent crime instead of just keep adding to it. But see, that's the word right there, right? Crime prevention. We're not doing that. Because no. you see, if you prevent crime, then guess who you don't get to incarcerate anymore? You see? So yeah. rather than prevent the crime, why not? There's money there. And us as black and brown people, we need to get better about challenging that, right? Because you see, we allowed ourselves to get engulfed in this hate. We need to learn how to love each other again, right? Again, going back to the pastors in these churches, you know, some of these people really work my last nerve because you're preaching out of both sides of your mouth, right? You're talking about um, Jesus, 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 but then you're also judging people all the mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. all the time, you know? You would think, you would think after what COVID did, where are these religious people, religious leaders? Where are they? Why aren't they leading the charge talking about the mass incarceration and the joblessness and the housing insecurity and the food insecurity? Where are they? They're quiet. Why? Because they can afford it. They can afford it. And a lot of them on television. Okay, they're preaching to the choir, as as they say. They're preaching to the choir. The, you know, it's the ones they they need to go out to those who cannot get to them. And as you say, right. mass incarceration, go to go into the prisons. Even during the pandemic, the the pastors, the chaplains, the imams, the rabbis, none of them are going in to meet with the prisoners during no. the pandemic. And I don't even no, know if they're doing it now. Not at all. You didn't see that at one time. It was the march. Where was the concern for those behind bars? Nowhere. 
Definitely, Joe did not open his church doors for nobody, right? But guess what? You better make sure you give him 10% of your income because if you don't, Jesus won't love you. (laughs) I was watching them on television all the time. It got to the point where I don't even like to watch it on television anymore because it's all about about money, money, money. And same thing in the churches. Right. 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 They turn mm-hmm. everything into money. And, you know, we have to we have to be the ones to say, okay, call the crap. Call it. Don't just sit there and, you know, I would expect for this year to see more people speaking up and speaking out. I mean, we have to do it. You yeah. know, the injustices are continuing. Um, watching what's going on with, with these different mass shootings, I mean, enough is enough now. And then while all of this is going on, our black and brown brothers and sisters are being thrown in jail for nonsense. Some of these charges, that's the other thing people need to realize. They like to judge those who are incarcerated. And I bet you if they heard some of the charges of some of these folks, you'd be like, wait, you're in jail for what? Yeah. For what? Why? Mm-hmm. But the system was designed to do that. It was designed for that. It was designed to create this loophole of where you would have people stuck in this way. It's doing exactly designed to do. And what we need to do, we need to collectively say enough is enough and educate each other because, again, there's a lot of relearning and learning that needs to happen. There are too many black and brown people who are completely ignorant of their own history. And it is very, very sad. Black history, Latino history, should they, this should be in school, and this should not be a question, right? Mm-hmm. Because we need people to understand where they came from in order to know where they're going next. That's it. Education. And I'll t- I tell you, there's a lot of people in prison who had good jobs when they were out. They had some, a lot of them in college. They were never involved mm-hmm. with the law. Some of them victims before becoming offenders. You know, there's so many people stereotype, but there are so many people mm-hmm. incarcerated that just had a bad break. And a lot of times people don't tend to look. That's why I keep hopping on the fact that the media needs to go in. They need to report both sides. We have prosecutions. Prose- prosecutors that are so corrupt, they will lie. We have, you know, mm-hmm. this, as they say, there's a... Uh, He's an author. His name is Casey Sherman. He was going to write a story, a book on a prisoner that he grew up with, not associated with, but they went to school together. And he was talking about that person. The person was never involved in the law. He was a good person, good reputation, hardworking, always in school. But he said this, he said, Casey Sherman said that he and this individual double dated, which they never did. What happened mm-hmm. in court when it came out that this was the individual's first uh, first relationship that he entered into, and mm-hmm. the, the person that he was involved with cheating, was lying, was deceiving, using, and he had they said he had never been involved. He had, it was a first time relationship. But Casey Sherman put that in the first thing he put in the paper was we double dated as though he was doing it in the very beginning to make sure that this person's credibility would be questioned. Come to find out he mm. was friends with 
the victim's family, and the victim's family are mafia. Is that how they say it? They're connected. So these are the kind of things, and the person he was talking about is a person of color, a black person. Casey Sherman is Irish and Jewish. But these are the kind of things, and the uh, prosecutors lie. There's so much corruption out there that people don't stand a chance. And the media, again, just reports one-sided stories. Of course. Well, the the media is whitewashed, right? The media doesn't care about me and you. The media cares about what sells, and what sells is our oppression. What sells is showing us as being, you know, people who are so dependent or so needy, but yet so violent. We're so vile. We're vile. And that's what the media does. It's whitewashed. Right, it tells the side of the story that that suits those with privilege, and it, it creates that segregation all on its own. Look at what happened when uh, Trump went in for his arraignment. When have you ever seen every single <laughs> station? <laughs> that was a farce. That was a farce. I could not believe it. he got arrested. Right? He it didn't. It, who gets arrested and oh. walks into the courtroom and out like he's walking in the store and walking out again? Yes. I never read anything oh. else. I love the part when he stopped to look at the camera. I thought that was cute. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, and that's the thing. This man is dangerous. He should really be in jail because he is going to incite violence. He's going to do it. It's just a matter of time, and it's already starting. It's already starting. Well, Bragg's so, might be Bragg's the DA. He's 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 trying his best, but he's still getting opposition because what's the uh, the Trump uh, the what's that person's name now that wants to be involved? And once he's involved, Trump he, they're not going to have anything secret. That this this no. man is going to get away with it because our legislative members are afraid. The, the government's yes. afraid of Donald Trump. I never saw anything like it. No. Well, the Republicans know how to stick together. Whether they're right or wrong, one thing they'll do that the Dems don't do, and I'm not a Republican, nor am I a fan of the Republican Party, but one thing we can count on the Republicans to do, I mean, they'll stick together. Even if they don't all agree, they'll stick together. The Dems, on the other hand, they have a very bad problem of letting their emotions publicly stare at each other. And you see... The Republicans take advantage of that. The Democrats should have known, just based on who has the House majority, you should be plotting, you should be planning. Stop fighting with each other, man. Stop fighting with each other. The priority should be empowering, supporting, and protecting black and brown people because that is who the Republicans will attack first and hardest. Well, we have a weak Democratic Party right now. I'm sorry to say it, but Biden has been weak from the beginning, and they see it. The Republicans see it. Oh, yeah. They, listen, they're seeing right through it. And it doesn't help, again, the media. The media, they have media outlets, not even just one. They have several outlets that are dedicated to promoting their narrative. Okay? And that's the thing. The Democrats... Let's just be real. America is past the two-party system. Start there. It should no longer be a two-party system because that's part of the problem, right? 
We need to have choice. We need to be true to our words. Open up the floor a little bit. Why does it have to be a two-party system? What has having this two-party system really done for everybody? Nothing. Besides Mm -hmm. create more chaos. And it's going to continue doing that for so long as it continues to go on. Exactly. They need mm-hmm. to have an independent. Uh, they they need to have a Democrat, Republican, and an independent party. That's what they need to have. Maybe there'll right. be more neutrality or something with that. Yes, absolutely. Like even if it's just like you say, an independent, which you need, it cannot just be two parties anymore. It mm-hmm. has to be all three on the ballot. It can't just be the two. You know, it has to be all three. And and we could fight for that. But you know what? To do that. People have to vote, and we have to realize now is the time when our votes matter the most, the most. It don't make sense to complain about it. We're not going to do anything about it. You know what I mean? You got to do something about it, too. You can't just be part of the problem and not part of the solution, or at least you can't speak to the problem and not speak to the solution as well. It's like the two that are running. Biden and uh, Trump are going to be running again, but they need to have, there has to be others. There has to be alternatives to those two because I wouldn't vote if, at all if it has to be just those two. You know right. who I'd like? I'd like to see. Well, we have in Massachusetts uh, Congressman uh, Ayanna Presley. I'm hoping that she'll run. But also, what's her name? Uh, Alexandria Cortez in New York. She seems to be really an aggressive uh, fighter, and that's the kind of leadership that needs to be in. I'm not a big EOC fan, I'll be honest with you. I'm not big on her because I find her to be performative. And um, I feel like, you know, on the immigration standpoint, she really hasn't done enough for me to say, okay, yeah, she's down. I, I can't get with her. Um, yeah. Eliane, however, our young friend who just got thrown out of house there, she's somebody who I definitely um, I'm looking at because she, to me, has done more. I always mispronounce her name. Ileanne, is it Ileanne? Is that how you pronounce her name? But oh, um, she to Ayanna, me, Ayanna Presley? No, not Ayanna Presley. Hold on, let me look up her name. I know who I'm talking about, but I always mispronounce her name. Um, she's way more progressive and way, way less performative, in my opinion. Let me just find it real quick. Of course I can't. Um, let's see here. But, yeah, no, we need to, well, here's another thing, too. We need to look at that. We need to look at the funding requirements for people to run for office because the truth of the matter is it's in a way where you and I can't run unless you plan to run on the street. But <laughs> to to run for office, it is expensive, Right. And that's another barrier. Like, there's so many barriers to our engagement in reality. We need to start calling them out, and we need to call them what they are and demand that they're changed, period. Yeah. There has to be some alternative, some some other options than the two that are. Now, one of the Kennedys just uh, stated he was going to be running for the presidency. Now, I remember John F. Kennedy, and I remember Robert F. Kennedy, I mean, Robert Kennedy, those two were assassinated. The mother at the time was afraid to have any more of her sons running because for some reason there was some kind of uh, death threat, it seems like, against that family. But right. 
The Kennedys had property on the street I grew up on. There was a club at the end of our street. And old man Kennedy and the owner of this club were good friends. And the, they made it so that nobody could do anything to take away that club. That time is over, though. But the, the Kennedys, from that point on, the Kennedys out there today, a lot of times people are saying that then, uh, you know, this one that's planning on running is is uh, has issues of his own. So I don't know what that's going to do to to the uh, race. But I hope others, uh, I hope others at least apply or try to become, you know, start a campaign. Others mentioned uh, Michelle Obama. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't. I know her husband can't I run again. I don't think she's <laughs> gonna run. I mean, I think that they're trying to capitalize on the legacy of the Kennedys. You know, I mean, I don't know how far that will go. Right now, I think, I think people are just at the point where, you know, this gun violence is beyond ridiculous, and people want answers. And they want people who give them the answers and also, you know, be real about it. Give us real answers. We still don't know what happened to the water in Flint. We have no idea. No clue. You know? They never resolved that? (laughs) No. (laughs) We still don't know. You know, there's so many things that go under the radar because this media along with the game and that is what it is you know the yeah. media Alabama and Mississippi they seem to be getting hit hard all around with everything it's one thing after another in those two states but they've always yes. been like they've always been like the, the suppressed the difficult yes times. well that's what we're seeing it, it's being exasperated now I mean the current economy is just making Obvious, more obvious, in my opinion. And you mentioned Calhoun. Calhoun mm-hmm. stayed there in Georgia. I remember when I was doing national work. We uh, that's one of the things. Calhoun State, uh, Georgia has some racist, racist areas in in uh, prisons too, and that's been uh, talked about a lot. I don't know. I have a friend that lives in uh, Atlanta. I stayed with her and a friend at Fatima one time, but. Um, Georgia has its share of extreme racism, too, in some areas. Mm-hmm. Virginia, too. Yeah. Aware. Like Massachusetts. Yeah. Massachusetts. Yeah. Oh. But like you say, you say there's, there's a lot of people that that you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of people that don't see it. I don't know if it's because they, they get pats on the back and they want to pretend that they're not what they are, but there's a lot of people that accept the uh, the things that go on in Massachusetts and think that there's uh, I don't know I'm not going to get into all that but <laughs> it's out there yeah a lot of, a lot needs to be educated absolutely 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 yeah so tell us uh, when when are your uh, when are your show when do you run your uh, your shows it's a weekly podcast, and usually episodes will air either Wednesday or Thursday. It's been kind of wavering lately because of uh, us being in our legislative session. So what will happen is is that sometimes I'll just pop up there and, you know, have an episode because, you know, we're all fighting for these different laws and everything. So 
on the off chance, there might be two podcasts in the week, but generally speaking, um, it is either on a Wednesday or Thursday latest. We're a newer podcast, um, so we are still growing, but um, it's it's there, right there on Podbean. You could find it if you put in the sound of black and brown, or you could go on Google Podcasts and listen for free. Okay. We like free. <laughs> I might be sending some people your way to maybe be interviewed. As they say, the uh, the uh, Reginald Reginald Clemens and, and Christopher Dunn are, are two brothers that are wrongfully convicted, been in for some time. Um, I had at one time uh, the founder of uh, Black Lives Matter prison chap- chapter out of um, California, and there are some mm-hmm. that, there are some that are able to call in and at times and. They want to get their stories out. So right. whenever whenever possible, if if possible, I can refer them to you to see if maybe you want yeah, to. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, and I'll definitely love to have you on. We'll definitely continue this conversation, no doubt. No yeah. doubt. And you know if you're looking to return, that's not a problem either because we need to do this for each other, you know. We need to support each other. We need to put this messaging out there. And we need to that it's, it's, it is there, period. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah, you want to you uh, give the audience the, your um, contact information on, and anything about your, your show? Absolutely. So uh, our show, again, is The Sound of Black and Brown. You could go to podbean.com and put in a search for The Sound of Black and Brown, or you could go to Google Podcast or show up there, too. Or, even better, you could follow us on social media, Facebook or Instagram, look up Black and Brown United in Action. We're also on TikTok, Black and Brown United in Action is put in a search. Or you could email me, blackbrownunited at gmail.com. Thank you, CJ. And again, I hope that you will come back because this is, as you say, this is very, it's very much needed. We need to have these discussions more often. A lot of times people yes. are saying, you know, tired of hearing about this racial issue, racial issue, but they don't realize it, it's something that it can't just go away because it's going on every day. There's incidents that are happening every single day involving something yes. or someone of color. And this, it's not only with the people of color, it's with the government itself. It's with this country itself. Now, you mentioned Sudan. Mm-hmm. Sudan right now, they say that there's people in Sudan that don't even have water. Everything's been cut off. Right. People don't have water. They don't have food. And here we are all these months, a year or whatever, supporting everything that's going on in, in Ukraine when, in fact, NATO mm. should be helping out mm. with their countries instead of all of the mm. countries, not even all of the countries. Right now, Joe Biden is, has spent so much money in this country, so much money and, and weapons and bringing these people out of out of uh, Palestine to, to put them into surrounding areas of Ukraine. And here, this country itself is falling apart. And people in Sudan are starving now and without water. And what is this all about? I don't understand this at all. Right. Well, you got to follow the money, right? Now, I myself being an immigrant, I'm all for people being a safe space. Don't get me wrong. I get why people migrate. But in saying that, we have problems right here that should not be ignored. And if you're going to help countries, let's help the ones that have the least opportunity for support. Right, I don't see anybody rushing to go help Venezuela. I don't see a long line rushing to do that. I don't see a long line rushing to help India. 
you know, the people in India, you know. So we have to realize that a lot of these things are being done for ulterior motives, you know. Yeah. I mean, exactly. and we have to call it what it is. Exactly. I hear Guyana's being uh, building, uh, progressing really good. They're really building yes, a lot. It, in. Yes, it has. And, you know, the islands have its ups and downs, you know, but... You know, a lot of these little islands, you know, they're sticking to their own. A lot of them didn't qualify for help from the United States. So they decided, you know what, we'll just figure it out. And they're prospering, and good for them. Good for them. Mm-mm. It's sad <laughs> because even even uh, even states in the United States, look at, uh, you got, well, Haiti's not in the United States, but Haiti, Puerto Rico was a part of the United States when they had their, De- devastating thing happened to them. I don't know if these people have come out of it yet, and there were all kinds of people, celebrities and athletes and government, I mean, people in <laughs> the state talking about how much they're going to collect all this money to send over there. They should have built a whole new country with the money promised, but they're still not even out of the mess they were in years ago. You know, it's, right. it's they, they built this, they're getting all this money in this country, and I don't know what they're doing with it. And now I heard... Uh, the Speaker of the House now, McCarthy, talking this earlier today about uh, the debt ceiling. They're going to be, they're going to be uh, a lot of people right now that have that have been getting some benefits. Those who can't afford it are going to be hurting because they're planning on taking away a lot of these benefits that have been in place all this time. Yes. Yeah. It's about to get real interesting. It's yeah. about to get really interesting because a lot of people. You know, for example, what's going on with Husky Renewals right now, um, a lot of people have lost their um, homes and their addresses. So how are they going to find out what they need or receive notification that they have to update their information to continue receiving benefits? And apparently none of this matters. No. No. Low man on the totem pole. I still feel bad for those children that were separated from their parents uh, at the border and spent all that yes. time in the. They never. They said they didn't even know who. They never kept track, so they don't even know who the parents were to, to the the children. Where are these children now? What are they doing to these kids? You know, when I think about yes. all this injustice, I feel so bad for those kids and for the parents. I think a lot of the parents yes. even got killed being sent back. I they probably did more than just. Right. But anyway, CJ, I want to thank you so much for being on, and I uh, I hope you'll let me know when you can come back on again because we need to continue, as you say, we need to keep this going. Yes. And well, uh, thank you, my sister. Thank you for having me. Thank you for all that you do. It is greatly appreciated. Well, I'm telling you, you do a lot too, and I really appreciate you taking the time to come on today to talk to us about uh, black and brown in in uh. And the things that are coming up, and I hope you'll join us in, in spreading the word about the June event because we need everybody calling the media and legislative members, the governors, especially the governors yes. in every state. Yeah, we need to stop yes. all this. Yes, thank you so much. I want to thank you, and audience. We're going to be closing this episode now. I thank you all for listening in, and you have the information to get in contact with CJ if there's any way you want to volunteer, if any of you know anything that you can 
do or say to help in, in what she's doing and what we're doing as, uh, as uh, June approaches. And I thank you all for being with us. CJ, I look forward to connecting with you again, and we will hopefully have you on within a couple of weeks if you have the time. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.